you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 10? As we seek to prepare to take the Lord's Supper, we look at this text from John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd." As we've seen in our our last message on the Lord's Supper, we're in this text where Jesus says, I am the door, is that this passage is filled with pastoral imagery, of imagery of sheep and shepherd. And the Bible is filled with this imagery. And, And what better image do we have of our God than as our good shepherd? And, and the popularity of, of Psalm 23, of, of the Lord is our shepherd, uh, shows how uh, influential that image is. And yet if God is our shepherd, we are the sheep. And, and that's not always a compliment, as sheep are, are quite helpless. And, and they're not, uh, uh, they have no defense mechanism against predators. And so if we are sheep and we're so helpless, uh, we need a good shepherd. And thankfully, we have a good shepherd in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we come uh, to take the Lord's Supper this evening, uh, I would like us to reflect uh, on Jesus as our good shepherd. And there are three truths that I want us to see of that reality. So number one there, uh, you have his sacrificial care. If Jesus is your good shepherd, you have his sacrificial care. Jesus is so committed to your life and your care that he is willing to give his life to secure yours. This is what Jesus says in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That Jesus is so committed to his sheep that if necessary, and it was necessary, that he would give his own life for the sheep. And this is contrasted with the hired hand in verse 12. This would have been someone who the sheep is not their possession, but they're hired to take care and oversee the sheep. But, but Jesus says uh, the, the, the hired hand isn't the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. They're not his personal possession. And therefore, he doesn't feel ultimate responsibility for them. It's, it's like an employee of a company versus the owner of the company. 
that, as is common with many employees, they don't really care too much about the company insofar as it keeps sending them their check. And, and the owner has, has a much more uh, care and, and, and would probably give much more in sacrificial uh, service to the betterment of the company than just a, an employee. And the same with the hired hand. He doesn't own them. They're not his possession. He's just hired out. Therefore, when he sees danger and there's any threat to his life, he, he scatters. He flees. He's only willing to shepherd these sheep up until the point that it risks his life. And, and what, is the, what is the result of him leaving his duty? The, the sheep, he leaves the sheep, the wolf comes, this predator, he snatches the sheep and scatters them. It wouldn't have been uncommon for predatory animals to come on the sheep. And the shepherd should fight those animals. Remember, David says he fought a bear and a lion to protect his sheep. And this man, this hired hand, flees when the wolf comes. And the wolf snatches some and scatters the flock. Some fall into the prey of, of the sheep and, and he, he devours them. And others, not caught by the wolf, are scattered, leaving them uh, apart from the group which makes them more vulnerable to even further attacks from predatory animals. That's all the result of this hired hand's failure to uh, give himself to shepherding the sheep. Jesus says in verse 13, he, ca- he, he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He's in it for the check. And remember from our last sermon here on John 10 on I am the door, Jesus in this text is intentionally uh, critiquing the religious leaders of the day. That in chapter 9, Jesus heals the man born blind. The religious leaders are upset about that, which leads to the blind man ultimately being kicked out of the synagogue, becoming a believer, and, and Jesus calls these these uh, shepherds of Israel blind. He referred to them earlier in this chapter as thieves and robbers. They only are there to steal and to kill and to destroy. Thieves are up to no good. A hired hand isn't necessarily a bad uh, person, but here it's a hired hand who is only interested in self-gain. And so similarly, these shepherds of Israel, these religious leaders, are, are, are only self-interested. And that theme is, is consistent with the Old Testament uh, message. We looked last time at Isaiah, uh, or Ezekiel rather, 34, where God says, Ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves, should you not uh, shepherds, you shepherds feed the sheep. The sheep were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. Similar, uh, Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. So throughout its history, Israel 
had many self-interested shepherds that fed themselves, but not the sheep. They cared for themselves, but not the sheep. And interesting, in these passages of judgment on these shepherds in the Old Testament, there's also a a consistent promise that in uh, Jeremiah 23... Verse 5, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Although there is no righteous shepherd now, there will be one in the future. Similarly, in Ezekiel 34. Verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And yet, in this passage also, there's another promise that God himself says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, 34.15 in Ezekiel. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So there is this coming descendant of David who's going to shepherd the the people of Israel. But then God himself says, I'm going to be the shepherd. How do we reconcile those two promises? Well, they can only be reconciled in one person. The Lord Jesus being God himself, but also manifested in the flesh, a real descendant of David. So both God and a descendant of David in one person shepherd Israel. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the good shepherd. He, he is finding fulfillment in all of those Old Testament promises. He's saying, I'm the, I'm the true shepherd of Israel. I'm the, I'm the rightful one. I'm the final one. I'm the good shepherd. And I, and I care for my sheep. I'm not like the hired hand. I'm not like this history of leaders that Israel had. As one commentator notes, the hired hand sacrifices his charge to save himself, whereas a true shepherd sacrifices himself to save his charge. And so this is what Jesus does. He comes and at great sacrificial cost gets his sheep. Because what was the danger of the sheep that that Jesus had to lay down his life for them? And the danger is that they're lost in the darkness of sin. Isaiah 53 tells us, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. That as sheep without a shepherd, that just sort of wander off on their own, not knowing the danger that is to come and open to to, uh, predators, we too were lost in our sin, We too wandered from our ways, chose our ways over God's ways. In our sheepish stupidity, 
didn't even realize the, the danger that we were in. My personal experience with sheep is they're, they're the dumbest animal I, I have ever met. They don't have any uh, defense mechanism, and, and they don't even know to run away. They just run in circles. That's us, that, that we're, we're in our, our sin and our foolishness, in our rebellion against God. We're lost. We've gone astray. And yet the good shepherd comes and seeks us out in the dark place. So see God's sovereign mercy and grace in, in our salvation. It's not as if the sheep get together and say, hey, we need a shepherd. That no, the sheep are, are, are scattered and they're in, they're in darkness, and they're lost, and the shepherd comes and gets each and every one of them and brings them into his fold. And how does the shepherd gather the sheep? Jesus says, I lay down my life for them. Or as I, in the words of Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So the condition of the sheep was so bad that it took the sacrifice of the Son of God to pay for the penalty of their sin. And by his death and resurrection, the sheep receive eternal life. That, that we have strayed so much that Jesus had to give his very life to rescue us from the impending punishment for sin that we all deserve. So, if Jesus is your good shepherd, if you have come to Christ in saving faith, Be reminded you have his sacrificial care. Be reminded of God's sovereign grace in your life, that you weren't seeking your shepherd. You were lost in the darkness of your sin, and he came and he found you. And he saved you. And, and be reminded of that even when you're tempted to question God's care for you now. That Christ as our shepherd met our greatest need with the greatest sacrifice. Will he not meet our smaller needs with the same care? Or in the words of Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
that if God took uh, the, the greatest sacrifice, giving of his son to, to uh, help our greatest need, the sins, penalty, and punishment, does he not care about all of our lesser concerns? And would he not go uh, to great lengths to care for them? So we might be tempted at times in life to ask ourselves, does God care? Does God see this situation? It's, 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 we all do this. It's, it's, it's almost borderline blasphemous of us because we could say, he did not spare his own son for me. Why dare I even suggest that he doesn't care about some lesser issue in my life? So we have that great comfort. Jesus is our good shepherd. He is so committed to your life and care that he is willing to give his life to secure yours. Secondly, with Jesus as your shepherd, you partake of an abiding relationship. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. When we follow Jesus as our good shepherd, we enter a true knowledge of God, analogous to that of the members of the Trinity. That in the gospel, we come to a true knowledge of God. This isn't just an intellectual knowledge of God, but a relational knowledge of God. That is, J.I. Packer tells us, one can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him. It's possible to know about God without knowing God. Supreme example, demons, they know God. Their their theology is more orthodox than, than many other living humans. They know who God is. They know his being. They know his power. But yet they don't know God. They're, they're not in a... A saving relationship with him. And notice this knowledge is reciprocal. I, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. It's this. And, and, and what is the analogy here? It's, it's as my father knows me and I know the father. And that is a knowledge, uh, that is a relationship that is one of, of deep intimacy of the father and the son. These are two members of the Trinity. Later on in John chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer, verse 25, Jesus says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know me, I know you, and these, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. It's making the same point. I, I make the knowledge of God known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. 
Not only is this this love, uh, this knowledge, it's this love. That Jesus says here, the same love that God has for me is the same love that's given to you in the gospel. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That as saints, we experience the love of God. We, we sang of that. If you look in the hymn book for songs uh, for, on the love of God, it, it, it's vast. Because in, in Christ, in the gospel, through our shepherd, we come to a real knowledge of the love of God. The same love that's bestowed upon the Son is now given to us. And the knowledge of God among the Trinity is now shared with us. Which makes the point that our love and knowledge of God depend upon the Trinity. And this is in our confession of faith. That in chapter 2 of our confession, when it teaches on the doctrine of Trinity... That doctrine that, you know, we know we have to believe it to be orthodox, but we're not quite sure its practical implications. After laying out that doctrine, it it gives us this line, chapter 2, paragraph 3. Which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on Him. Which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on Him. Now, interesting history on that phrase. That, you know, much of our confession is very consistent with and borrowed from the Westminster Confession of Faith. But if you read the Westminster Confession, that line is not in there on the doctrine of the Trinity. So where did this come from? Well, there's another confession that our confession borrows from uh, that came after the Westminster Confession. That's the Savoy Declaration, if you're not familiar with that. The, The Westminster Confession of Faith is written in 1646. It's a Presbyterian document. There were Congregationalists living at the time. Among them, Uh, the most famous maybe, is John Owen. They didn't believe in Presbyterian form of government. They believed in congregational form of government. But they were in line with the Westminster Confession in so many ways, so they borrowed that, but they added a congregational element. And they published that in 1658. And so they tweaked it a bit, and one of the lines added was this line, and it's John Owen who wrote it. So then our our Baptist forefathers also borrowed that language uh, too. And I think it's important to have because what is is this statement saying? We cannot have our salvation and its benefits without the Trinity. And so the doctrine of the Trinity is not some esoteric, impractical doctrine. It's very foundational to, to our our. Our, our life foundation to all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on them. As it says, it's the foundation of all our communion with God. That's what Jesus is saying here. The knowledge 
that you have uh, of God is analogous to, to the knowledge between the Father and the Son. That the love that you have in the gospel and experience the love of God is the same love given to the Son. And in the gospel, that mutual inter-Trinitarian love that's shared in knowledge is shared with us. Not in a way that we become divine, but in a way that we can have real knowledge of God. So where does our foundation of that relational knowledge with God come? It comes from the relational knowledge among the members of the Trinity. And furthermore, our comfortable dependence of God depends upon this doctrine of the Trinity. Why? Because in order for God to, to, to stop loving you, He has to stop loving His Son. Because the love with the, that he loves his son is the same love with which he loves you. So this doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him. That may stretch our minds, but that is uh, pivotal and beautiful when we understand that. So if Jesus, as your good shepherd, uh, you, you enter uh, uh, an abiding relationship with our triune God. Finally, with Jesus as your good shepherd, you will receive future glory. Verse 16 of chapter 10. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. With Jesus as your good shepherd, you are partaking of the work of redemption that Jesus is accomplishing, of gathering a people from all the nations who will live with him forever. Interesting, again, in, in Jeremiah 23, where it promises a righteous branch is going to come to, to, to shepherd Israel. It also says in, in chapter 23, verse 7, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, As the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. That there was coming a time where, where uh, God was going to draw his people from all over the world. And that was particularly of, of Jews scattered, but also in the mystery of the gospel, the Gentiles were included in the gospel. So Jesus says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. We, we must not take from this any sort of teaching that's, that says, well, then there's two different flocks, there's two different peoples of God. There's two different plans of salvation. No, that's actually contrary to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm gathering People not of this fold, meaning not Jews, and what's the purpose of me gathering them? They're going to be one flock with one shepherd. There's a, there's a connection of those two words in the original. It's just the, the last two letters are switched. 
So we could maybe say one sheepfold, one shepherd. That Jesus is, is saying, uh, the gospel is not just for you, Israel. That the gospel is, is for the Gentiles as well. And this is the great mystery of the gospel, this, the, the Gentile inclusion. That we become partakers of the gospel in Christ. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's, it's, the gospel is not an ethnic-based religion. It, it's for the whole world. It's not race-based religion. It's not a region-based religion. It's not a cultural-based religion. It's not a rich man's religion, not a poor man's religion. Educated, uneducated, influential, marginalized. The gospel goes to all people. And if, and if Jesus is your shepherd, you, can, you are a partaker of that, and you get to see the ingathering of the nations. That people from all over the world who speak different languages and are from different cultures come into the same flock as you, with the same shepherd, with the same hope. So what began with some first century Aramaic speaking Jews now includes in this room 21st century English speaking Americans. You can't get much different in terms of language and culture, where we are located on the globe. And it's not just English speaking Americans. It it is various languages from various nations throughout the world are, are, are calling on their good shepherd. Jesus is gathering his sheep. He has laid his life down for them. And what does he say? They will listen to my voice. This is our confidence in evangelism and missions. That Jesus has his sheep And in the preaching of the gospel, they will hear his voice and come. That is promised. That's our confidence. And that's why people risk their lives to do missions. Because they know Jesus has his sheep. So as, as we receive the Lord's Supper tonight, we, we have to remember that it's not just a reminder of what has happened in the past. But it's also a picture of hope of what is to come. And Jesus said this in, in his institution of the Lord's Supper. That after giving the bread and the cup, he, he, he says, I tell you. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So in the the midst of, of instituting this ordinance that looks back on his life and death, he also puts it in the future of, of, as you celebrate this meal, be reminded that, that I'm waiting for the ingathering of my people, I'm waiting for, for my, my bride to be ready. And then I will partake of the fruit of the vine again with you, with my people, in glory, forever. That there is a future glory coming. There is a future banquet 
where we will feast with our Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is our good shepherd. We thank you that he gave his life for us. What a great cost it was to him, and what a great gain it is to us. Prepare our hearts as we seek to remember this great work of salvation accomplished in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.